0: Gabriel Jesus has been discussing his role at Arsenal, having played at centre-forward on the left wing and on the right wing over the course of the past few weeks. He's as versatile a forward as you'll find, but do Arsenal need another specialist striker? We'll discuss that and the PGMOL's excuse for Kovacic not seeing red last Sunday, right here on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. And don't worry, I'm not going to impersonate Mikel Arteta again. Let's go. (laughs) I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Good afternoon, and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Coming to you live today from Ninety Min Towers. I hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you're enjoying the international break so far touched on it yesterday just gives us an opportunity doesn't it to disconnect slightly from the stress that comes uh, with following our beloved arsenal with our beloved football club um it can get a bit boring towards the end of the international break i guarantee you that by the time we kind of get past this upcoming weekend and head into next week everybody will be like oh my god where is football bring it back hurry up um but i have to say i'm quite enjoying the break at the moment and it gives us an opportunity i think to do some slightly different bits of content. So instead of it always being reactionary to the news, um, instead of it being about matches, looking ahead to them, but also reflecting on them, we get the opportunity to do something a little bit different, which I think is deep dive into some of the questions that have propped up over the course of the season for Arsenal so far. So on this edition of the show, we're going to discuss whether or not Arsenal need another specialist striker. And I've been thinking about this for a little while. I know there've been a lot of comments flying around on social media with regards to uh, Gabriel Jesus and his suitability to play in that role and whether or not Arsenal should be looking to upgrade to someone who's that bit more clinical in front of goal. And my kind of pushback on that has often been, but look at what he brings to the team in terms of everything else. Look at the build-up play uh, that he contributes. Look at the way he presses. Look at the way he sets the tone in terms of energy and commitment levels. I think there is a question, though, there around whether or not, if we do want to go on to that next level at some point, we need to be looking at somebody who's a little bit more ruthless in goal, uh, in goal, in front of goal. You don't want him in goal. You don't want your striker playing there unless he's Olivier Giroud, obviously, based on last weekend's um, evidence. But look, we'll get into that. We'll look at some of the statistics um, with regards to Gabriel Jesus' performances so far in the Premier League this season. I know it's a small sample size, but... I didn't want to go back and look at the numbers from last season because I think we've made some tweaks to our team and we play in a slightly different way. And therefore, I think if we'd have looked at those numbers when having this discussion, we'd have probably painted a little bit of a false picture. So I wanted to concentrate on this campaign so far where we've seen, for example, us play with that more advanced uh, left-sided midfield player where you know we've not been able to play Declan Rice and Thomas Partey as much as we'd like um, at the start of the campaign. So I I thought, yeah, best focus... On This season, but um, we'll get into all of that in a minute. Uh, Good afternoon to everybody joining us live on YouTube right now, whether you're watching this back as well or listening to it. I hope you're all um, having a good uh, Wednesday so far. Um, I want to say a big uh, hello to Mario. uh, who says, morning, Harry from the Caribbean. Oh, mate, what I would give to be in the Caribbean right now. He says, keep them pods coming, mate. They're great poolside material. He says, I think we need Neto as we can play false 9 with our firepower up top and then go for Victor Ossiman in the summer. Interesting. We'll get into the striker chat, as I say, in a minute. Uh, big hello to uh, Jason as well, who joins us from Malaysia and says, I'm finally catching you live for the first time. Welcome, mate. Uh, good to see you. Big hello to everybody else as well. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the names individually, but it's good to see Uh, you guys in the chat as well right let's do this then let's talk Gabriel Jesus let's discuss the comments that he made uh, yesterday with regards to his role at Arsenal where he revealed a little bit about the conversations that he had with Mikel Arteta and Edu prior to joining the club and then we'll look at some of the statistics that surround uh, his performances so far this season (laughs) Right then, let's do this. Let's talk Gabby Jesus. Um, he's been talking, as I say, on his role um, at Arsenal and the talks that he had with Arteta and Edu uh, before, of course, joining the club. He said, it's worth pointing out that I've been playing a lot of roles at Arsenal. Obviously, when I chose to move from City to Arsenal, Edu and Arteta spoke to me and I made it clear that I'd like to play nine. That was Arsenal's idea for me, to play as a nine but loose. This season has been different. We've had injuries and in the last few games, uh, I've played in all three of the attacking positions. For a while, I thought I'd just say I wanted to play nine, but I'm here to help the team. I'm blessed by God to have this talent and the versatility to play in all three forward positions I prefer not to choose. What did I take from these comments? So, first of all, it's clear, it's abundantly clear that Gabriel Jesus prefers to play as a nine. I do think, and I remember talking about this at the time, that is a big part of the reason why he agreed to join Arsenal, um, rather than stay at Manchester City, rather than go anywhere else. Because I think the conversations that he had with the Arsenal staff at the time, gave him the confidence and the belief that he would finally get to play in the position that he always wanted to play. Now, he played there on many occasions for Manchester City, of course, but it always felt like he was kind of second in the peck in order to Sergio Aguero. Um, you know, he'd come in for certain games, but there were times where he was shoehorned into the wide areas, which is clearly not Gabriel Jesus's preference. I think what's happened at Arsenal over the last few weeks is that Mikel Arteta has probably sat him down and had a conversation and said, look, Gabby, I know you want to play centre-forward. You know, we discussed this when you came here. I'm, you know, I'm telling you that you are a centre-forward in my eyes. But at this moment in time, when we're without a key player in Bukayo Saka, when we've been without both Martinelli and Trossard at the same time, I need to use you in one of those wide areas. Why? Because I trust you to be able to play that role and I trust you more than I do the likes of Eddie and Nketiah, for example. If one of you has to move out of position, I believe that I can still get a higher level from you than I can from someone else. So I think Mikel Arteta would have had that conversation with him to just pre-warn him and and sort of reiterate the point that there, this isn't Gabriel Jesus becoming a winger at Arsenal. This isn't him, um, you know, having to sort of recalibrate or, or, or sort of go back on... Um, You know, the position that he wants to play. This isn't any of that. This is simply something that Arsenal have had to do in the short term to get through a difficult period. Um, But what you can also take from this is that Gabriel Jesus has got a brilliant attitude, which I think we already knew anyway that Gabriel Jesus is more than happy to fill in for the team, that he's more than happy to contribute in a way that might not be the ideal way in his eyes, um, if it means that the team can do what they need to do. And so I wanted to have a look at his statistics uh, so far this season, because, again, the question comes up, it came up last season, does Gabriel Jesus score enough goals for Arsenal? And I think what happened last year was that people looked at his return and when, oh my God, you know, they paid 50 odd million pounds for this. This is a this is a team that want to be competing for the Premier League title, that were competing for the Premier League title. One of the things that they're missing is, is probably someone who can stick the ball in the net with, you know, that regularity that you need right at the highest level. If you look at his Arsenal record so far, 42 games for the Gunners um, and he's got 14 goals. So it's pretty much about... Um, a one-in-three ratio. He scores a goal every 2.8 games, um, basically, at this moment in time. He's also contributed eight assists uh, during that time as well. And what's actually quite interesting is for a forward, he's got 10 yellow cards in 42 games. That's one in four, uh, basically, which is quite high as well. But that's a lot to do with the way that he plays. But his record at Arsenal so far is okay, but it's not groundbreaking. A goal every nearly three games, is that what you'd expect from a top, top striker in terms of their ratio? Probably not. But as I say, Gabi Jesus brings so much more uh, to the equation for me. Right. Um, let's uh, let's move on and let's have a look then at some of these uh, statistics. Uh, so let's have a look at his season so far in the Premier League. And I'm going to bring up a few uh, different sort of areas of, um, of metric. So um, in terms of a uh, Well, you know, we'll highlight those bits in a minute, but just in terms of um, the sample size, because I think it's really, really important that we get this out there. The sample size is small. We're talking about six games of which he started three. He's only averaged 51 minutes per game. Okay, so the sample size is small here, but I've picked out a few bits that I think we should look at. So you'll see they're highlighted in yellow. If you're watching us, don't worry if you're listening, I'll explain it. Goals, um, just the one goal in the Premier League so far, expected goals, is 1.49. So when people say, you know, he's way, way, way below, um, you know, what we're expecting in terms of the outputs and, you know, that he's missing a ton of chances and all the rest of it, that is a little bit of a myth because if you look at this and if you break it down, his XG is 1.49 and he's on one. He's not a million miles away from that. You know, he's not, it's not like his XG is four and he's got one goal. It's not like his XG is three and he's got one goal. He's performing close enough, in my opinion, to what his XG suggests he should be scoring um, for me to give him not a pass, but for me not to get on his back too much about that particular um, statistic. If we take it on, something else that I wanted to highlight was in the defending category, Um, where he's really, really active. Now, Arsenal, as a team, generally try to and want to defend from the front. And that's why Gabriel Jesus is so important. Tackles per game, he averages 1.5. He wins possession back um, 1.2 times uh, per game. But this is what really jumped out to me. Balls recovered per game at three. That is really, really high in comparison to some of his peers, Um, not just within the football club, but beyond that as well. Um, you know, strikers don't tend to recover the ball as much as Gabriel Jesus does. So again, it feeds into and builds into that point of this is a guy who really, really does contribute to the team in a lot of ways. He really, really does. And I almost get a little bit frustrated when people look at things so simplistically and go, Well, he just doesn't score enough goals. Okay, you could argue he doesn't. But in terms of XG, and you know, this comes back to the point we were discussing yesterday about um, chance creation. We're 12th in the Premier League in terms of chance creation. So we're pretty far down the list. Um, it, it's it's nothing to be proud of, but it does suggest that the chances have dried up at Arsenal. Therefore, we're not talking about a side anymore that are creating a ton of chances week in, week out. Only we have a striker who can't put them in the back of the net. His XG, as I say, is 1.49 and he scored one goal in the Premier League. So he's almost um, about level with that. Couple of other bits I wanted to highlight um, in the other category: successful dribbles. He averages um, 2.2 per game. 65% of his dribbles um, are successful. Jules one, um, he averages six per game. That's 47% of his jewels that he comes out on top in uh, ground jewels one. 47% of those, so nearly half of those as well, and aerial jewels. for someone of his stature and size that's pretty impressive as well so in terms of dribbles he's really really effective in terms of jewels, one um total but also when you break it down to ground and aerial he's a really really effective player and um and that does go under the radar sometimes in terms of things I want to highlight that may be slightly negatives um the scoring frequency I think that could be improved I've highlighted that in red here um He scores a goal every 304 minutes in the Premier League or has this season. And obviously, that is not uh, great. It's not ideal. Um, Accuracy of passing in the opposition half is 66%, which is a little bit low. But again, I think that is probably down to the fact that he's trying to make those blockbuster passes. He's trying to create the opportunities. I used to say this about Alexis Sanchez back in the day when people used to go, he gives the ball away too much. Well, he probably does, but... Part of that is because of what he is looking to do when he receives the ball in those areas. You know, you're a centre-back, your passing accuracy is going to be really high because you're not going to take any risks or gambles with your passing um, from fear of getting caught out and that potentially leading to you conceding a goal. So I think, you know, that one is a little bit misleading, but I mean for your accuracy to be 66%. I think that's a little bit on the low side. Um, and and that, those are the two things that I wanted to highlight as probably areas of improvement, I guess you could say, for Gabriel Jesus. But, you know, it's clear from this when you look at the whole picture, um, you know, that he is incredibly effective at defending from the front. He's incredible, incredibly effective at carrying the ball with dribbles. He's incredibly effective in duels, um, you know, recoveries, all the rest of that, probably could score more goals uh, generally speaking, but based on the opportunities that he's had personally this season, he is very much um around about where he should be. I keep banging on about it, xg of one point four nine. And he scored one goal. So he's not a million miles off of that. So this idea that Gabriel Jesus is like spurning loads of chances week in, week out for Arsenal is a nonsense. It's not true. The statistics tell us that. The statistics back up uh, the fact that Gabriel Jesus is someone who there's probably room for improvement when it comes to finishing and frequency with which he takes chances. But it isn't such a big problem at this moment in time. It isn't the reason Um, that Arsenal have maybe looked off it a little bit at times this season. He's been incredibly effective, um, as we say, uh, in every other aspect of the game. And when you talk about XG versus goal scored, again, there is a massive disparity uh, there as well. Right, let's take some of your thoughts and some of your comments uh, on this as well. Uh, Just quickly, Joey says, uh, Morning Harry, so close to 30k. Joey, we are crawling there, mate. We're like, what, 140, 150 subscribers away? Come on, if you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? Give us a subscribe, give us a like, all the rest of it. Um, Steve Stone says, personal opinion, I much prefer the goals to be spread out across the team. It's much harder for the opposition to defend against. Agreed. And also it protects you um, from the vulnerability that would come with losing the guy that gets you 25, 30 goals um, on his own. You know, there's There's teams in the past that have been really, really good because they've had a talisman up front. We've been in this situation before. Remember, we had a couple of seasons where Robin Van Persie was like scoring all of our goals. And then you lose a player like that and you, you bring in somebody like Olivier Giroud, who was good in his own way, but wasn't as clinical... Um, or as potent as Robin Van Persie, and actually the level of the team dropped off. And then we had to bring in the likes of Alexis Sanchez to help out with that. I agree with you. Goals around the team is the way you want to be. You don't want to be over-reliant on any one individual. For some teams, it works, but there will come a point where you will be without that player and you may well suffer uh, for that. So I agree um, with Steve's um, sentiment there. Um, BX Gunner says, I've been waiting for this issue to arise with Jesus. He needs to be open to being a winger more often than not. I think I'd agree with you if we had like a top, top striker within our ranks, right? So if we had Erling Haaland up front um, and you said that Jesus had to play on the wing because, you know, he wasn't... His selection at centre-forward couldn't be justified over somebody like that whose goal returns speak for themselves, I'd agree with you. But in this Arsenal team, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that Eddie Nketiah would give us more. I don't think that Kai Havertz, even if he played at centre-forward, would give us more either. Now, I've I've talked quite a bit about how I think that Kai Havertz's best position actually is um, as being a forward option for us, rather than someone that plays in midfield. But I just think at Arsenal right now, Gabriel Jesus is the best centre-forward. And not just because of what he brings um, off the ball and all the rest of it, Um, because of what he does in front of goal as well, where, you know, somebody like Eddie Nketiah isn't far ahead of him, you know, and and also doesn't give you the other bits. So therefore, does that kind of, you know, make it sort of null and void in terms of the the sort of comparison when people look at Eddie's stats and go, well, Eddie's more potent, Eddie's more clinical. I don't know. Um, What else have we got? Uh, Lorcan says uh, this is great news alongside the Tony rumors. What's, what's the great news? I'm sorry I've lost, uh, but thank you very much for your kind donation. Let me know and I'll um and I'll come back to that. Uh, Oslo Gunner says, we need uh, Gabby for our press. Absolutely. He's massive in that. Um, BX Gunner says, if if he could score like Alexis, we'd be killer. Um, Shane Power says, upgrade on Jesus. Selling Ketia. Um, Jason says, would be interesting to see his lost possession versus other Premier League forwards because it feels like he loves to try to take people on. Obviously, he's very good at it, but he seems to do it in bad spots too much. What do you think? I actually like that he takes people on. Um, and I think his his dribble success rate, if I go back to this a second, um, successful dribbles, 65% of his dribbles are successful. That's pretty high when you're talking about dribbles in the attack in third. It's pretty good. Um I don't know what others are like. I, I suspect that some might have um, a higher level of success, but attempt less dribbles. Jesus is is often looking to do that. And obviously, the more you attempt, the likelihood of you having a higher success rate is obviously damaged by that, I think. So I, I like that he does that. I, I think he gives us something different. I think against Man City the other day when we were you know, struggling to find a way through and Jesus would receive the ball on the right-hand side and would drop the shoulder and, um, you know, sort of just attract players to him, creating spaces for others and all the rest of it. I thought that that kind of highlighted what that type of player can bring to the picture, uh, to the picture I guess. picture. I can't even talk. Um, what else have we got? Uh, look, uh, Oh, good news that he's open to playing on the wing. Yeah, it's good news that he believes in this cause enough and he believes in the project enough to be able to go, I'll do a job for my team and I'm not going to throw my toys out the pram um, if I'm asked to do something that I feel is is not quite 100% what I want to be doing. That's the real positive, I think, um, from what he said. But the, the versatility is there. What I think we did see at the weekend is the fact that he's much better from the right wing than he is from the left. I think we can all agree on that. So going back to my original question, do Arsenal need another striker? I think in the long term, I think in the next phase of the build, you would probably be looking at bringing in a real elite centre forward that can contribute 20-plus um, goals a season. I think that's the next step. That's what you want. But do we need another striker today, given that we've got Jesus at the club, we've got Havertz that can play there, we've got Enketia. I don't think that would be a priority for me going into January. But I think come next summer, that's something I would certainly be looking at um, if I was the Arsenal boss. Right, we're going to take a really, really short pause. And when we come back, we're going to discuss the PGMOL's explanation for Mateo Kovacic not seeing red at the weekend. Back in just a moment. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're well. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video if you're watching us and subscribe uh, to the channel uh, if your brand's spanking new as well as we continue to crawl towards uh, that milestone of 30,000 subscribers here on YouTube. I'd love to get there sooner rather than later. It always happens. Whenever you get close to a milestone, I remember when we got to 25K. I remember like being desperate to get there, and even though like, you know what the real milestone, the one that I really fucking felt special about, sorry for this one, I don't know why that's up. the one I really felt special about was when we hit 10K. That was the one for me where I thought, wow, like, we're, we're building something here. Um, but I remember like in the days, weeks leading up to get into the 10K, we were like within touching distance and it was just taking ages. Um, so I, I've become conditioned to to that being the case. Uh, moving now, but that doesn't make it any less frustrating. Anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about the PGMOL because the latest episode of the referee drama, should we call it that, miked would Up um, was released with Howard Webb discussing Mateo Kovacic's challenge on Martin Odegaard, the decision not uh, to send him off. And he tried to give a little bit of an explanation as to why Michael Oliver was probably reluctant to show the second yellow card. So the first thing is that Howard Webb sort of says, you know, the first one could be a, could be a red card. Um, and what he says is, because of some of these factors, blah, 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 check it out. There's a clip going around online. I retweeted it earlier today. Um, you know, the, the VAR felt that they didn't want to step in and re-referee the game. And I kind of get that. And I said immediately after the match that I was... Not okay with him not being sent off for the first challenge, but I could at least understand and accept that there was a debate around that. The bit that wound me up was the fact that he didn't then get a second booking for the other challenge. And Howard Webb described him as extremely lucky. Um, And he tried to kind of justify Michael Oliver's actions by saying something along the lines of, well, you know, he didn't want to negatively impact the game. Uh, by showing a second yellow card so early and and sending someone for an early bath. And when I hear nonsense like that, I think, hold on a minute, like we keep talking about, you know, the standard of refereeing. Some people out there will tell you that there's corruption and there's collusion and that there is a plan to, um, you know, favour certain sides and all that. It shouldn't be about impacting the game. It shouldn't be about the quality of the game or how that might be affected by you sending someone off if someone needs to be sent off because they have met that threshold then you send them off and it doesn't matter about the game this is this is the problem and when you have nonsense like that coming through it's impossible to get consistency because one referee might see it like that another won't um the fact is he committed two offenses on the pitch that were both worthy of yellow cards at the very very least and he remained on the pitch this is the problem here, you know. And and this whole mic'd up thing, when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, good idea, you know, give us a bit of an understanding of how it works behind the scenes. And if we have that understanding, and that education, then maybe we'll be a little bit more open and a little bit more understanding when they do make mistakes. And then we saw the mistake between Tottenham and Liverpool. And then uh, we saw uh, Kovacic not being sent off, um, despite it being very clear and obvious that, you know, he probably should have been. So, uh, at first, I thought this was a good idea. The more I listen to it, the more I watch it, the more I just think it's referee propaganda and I'm bored of it. To be honest, it doesn't help in any way um, because they just pick the incidents that they want to pick and they talk through them in a very, very sort of high-level way. Um, yeah, for me, it's just not the one. It's not the one. I'm not enjoying it. I'm, uh, and when I listen to nonsense like that, you know, it makes me want to turn off from it even more. Um, But, yeah, the PGMOL somehow managed to embarrass themselves. Again, listen, Howard Webb's got the hardest job in the world. It's harder than the Chelsea job, to be honest, um, doing what he's doing right now because of the scrutiny that referees are under. But, you know, they can do things better. There's no doubt about that in my mind. And unless they're willing to make the changes um, and and put the structures in place for that to happen more often than not, then we're going to have these problems continuously. I've said it before, I watch a lot of other football from other leagues, other nations, and yeah, there is sometimes controversy around the VAR and its implementation, but it's very, very rare in comparison to what we get here. Actually, let me rephrase that. Maybe it's not very, very rare generally, but it is rare in terms of when you compare it to how often we're talking about VARs. It's just, yeah, I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And I think the, the PGMOL have... Uh, A responsibility to improve the standards and actually i'm not sure that their head or whatever he's called howard webb um standing there making excuses for them and protecting them is gonna is gonna really build any sort of understanding between the fans and them which is ultimately what you need you need the fans to understand how job how difficult the job is sometimes you need the fans to um, understand that mistakes can be made and in the heat at the moment you will be upset and you will probably react but you need people to be able to yeah, to to show um, to the official or the officials need to understand how impactful their actions are and the fact that we don't mind if they take a little bit of time um, but come to the right conclusion. I just think that the idea of of doing this was to try and bring that a little bit or those two things a little bit closer together so that there was sympathy for the officials and there was greater understanding around maybe some of the mistakes they make but I think when you listen to the fact that they're literally sitting there and just spouting propaganda and backing each other up and creating the referees club it makes you think like you know it's just a PR exercise and nothing more you know maybe it was started with good intentions but they very quickly turned it into something else but hey what do i know anyway um we're going to take a really really short break and then i'm going to take a couple of your questions uh before i disappear um so please start getting them into the chat box remember you can support the podcast via the another slice platform the link is in the description below and of course uh you can subscribe here on youtube here on audio Uh, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the likes, Uh, and, uh, of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. Right, short pause, and then I'll take some of your questions. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, um, brought to you by 90 Min. Uh, Shane Power says, can we re-sign on re? That would be bloody good, wouldn't it? That'd be really, really good. Um, Get your questions in. We'll take a few of them uh, before I wrap up. As I said, uh, let's choose uh, something that will get us going a little bit. Hold on a minute. Just scrolling through the chat box. Um, uh, Jason says do you have last season stats on Jesus? Cause that's only on a three start sample. So I explained at the top of the show that I won't, the reason I didn't go back to last season's is cause I think Arsenal have played a, a different game. And I think if I start bringing up stats around chances, created chances missed from last season, I don't think that tells us the story of what the problem is this season. If that makes sense, which is why I avoided that, but yeah, we can do that. Um, at another point. Um, uh questone says how are the low knees doing don't hear much from them this season yeah i mean we're not getting um too much information you know i know that some of the others uh, are right across that i know tom canton does um a lot on that i know that charles watts uh spoke about patino and some other bits and pieces um you know players that you know we were hoping would break through into the first team but Probably won't, in my opinion. Um, Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I think you know when players leave Arsenal on loan, you just want them to be playing games. You just want them to be finding their feet and learning about themselves. I'm not massively fussed about how they perform in terms of outputs all the time because I think it's about experience. I think that's what it's about. It's about getting into the routine. It's about getting into the right habits. And I think we can often obsess about what a player does on loan. I mean, we've just sold following Baligan for what we've sold him for because he did well on loan. So it does have its benefits if they can go somewhere and produce the outputs. But equally, it doesn't mean that they're going to come back to Arsenal and be a success. And Baligan's a really good example of that. Scored a load of goals in France, but clearly Mikel Arteta didn't feel that he was ready to fight for a place at Arsenal. Not in the top two or three in the pecking order and hence why he decided to go... Um, so, yeah, I don't really read too much into the outputs that some of these players produce, but I think it's good to get the experience, good to get the minutes under your belt, good to just play football matches at a professional level. Uh, big thank you to Mitchell for your very kind words, my friend. I uh, really, really appreciate it. Lorcan says, does Emile Smith-Rowe have a future at the club? So tough, isn't it? Look, at this moment in time, I think we're OK in the situation that we're in with Emile Smith-Rowe. I think he's okay. It's not ideal for him. He'll want to be playing. Um, He'll want to be way more involved than he is at this moment in time. And I think come the end of the season, if there isn't an upturn in terms of the amount of games that he gets and the amount of opportunities that he gets, that he probably will seek to leave the club. And so it's on him now to prove himself between now and then. Um, If he proves himself, then... You know, he, he, the world is his oyster and that's what he needs. That's why I always say he's got it in his own hands now. You know, if he comes in and he works hard, then he wins back a place and he impresses people. Not only will Arsenal be happy to keep him, but there will be a queue of other clubs looking at him and saying, well, you are quite far down the pecking order at Emirates Stadium. We'll take a punt. We'll have a go. Um, the problem is at this moment in time is that he hasn't had that many opportunities for him to be judged on when he came on against or, or when he started the game against Brentford in the Carabao cup I thought he looked quite good in the first half didn't have the fitness levels to replicate that in the second half though and um and you know he's come on a couple of times as a substitute and I think done quite well so um I think I'm at, I'm not at the point where I'm, I'll say he hasn't got a future at Arsenal but I do think there are um there are question marks as to whether he can ever do what Mikel Arteta wants him to do. And if there is a role for him in this team, um, I I certainly understand why people are asking that question. Avon says, if we spend serious money on a 20-plus a season centre-forward, is Tony that player? I have reservations on his age and productivity. What does Harry think? I've said it before. um, I don't think Ivan Tony is the answer for Arsenal. I really don't. I wouldn't go and pay the 60, 65, 70, even maybe million that Brentford are probably going to be looking for. I think there are strikers that could do equally as good a job, probably out on the continent, probably elsewhere that you could pick up for a fraction of the price. So I wouldn't be um, massively jumping on that one. Uh, Richie says, do you think the Champions League VAR setup would benefit the Premier League, i.e. the play will continue and be analysed afterwards. I think it certainly works much smoother in the Champions League, but what they use that I think we desperately need is the semi-automated offsides. Uh, So I'm hoping we can see that introduced sooner rather than later. Um, Jid says, uh, some blame for Eddie, uh, or some blame Eddie, sorry, for us not being fluid. How's the guy who plays up front being blamed for us not being fluid when playing from the back? Him not dropping deep can't be the difference between fluid and rigid. I think it can make some difference um, in that you're another option. You give whoever's on the ball in a deep possession another option, which means that they stand a greater chance of progressing the ball earlier and all the rest of it. But I think the blame pointed at Eddie is unfair. I think we all know what Eddie is, right? We've watched him for long enough. We understand what his limitations are, what his strengths are. We know that he goes on hot streaks and plays really well. And we also know that he goes through phases where he's not as involved and doesn't really contribute that much you always get the work rate and the effort and all the rest of it but you know I question whether Eddie Nketiah is an elite striker I've always said that when we gave him that contract um, you know part of that was to make sure he retained the sell-on value and I do think come the end of the season we'll probably sell him Um, but I don't think he's to blame for the lack of fluidity I don't think it helps when Jesus is not at centre-forward and not in the team um and so does that by default make eddie part of the reason i don't know um you can qualify that how you like but i just yeah i i think that he's one of the players that gets somewhat unfairly treated and i think he's one of the players that people like to jump on because you know he doesn't have this aura or doesn't have you know what we class as top top talent to put him in a bracket where he feels like a bit of an untouchable so Um, No, I I wouldn't blame Eddie for that, although I prefer Jesus being up front, which I think most people probably do, um, if we're being honest. Right, I am going to leave it there, guys. Thank you so, so much for joining me. It is so, so appreciated. I will see you all very, very soon with more. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with more. If there's anything that you want to hear discussed during the course of the international break, or get involved in the comments section below, and please, 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 Um, Let me know. Um, Yeah, that would be great. I will uh, catch you soon. Until then, take care of yourselves. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.